All right, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim R. Today is episode 62 and we have Jasmine K. joining us. Hello, Jasmine. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. You were chatting a little bit before you're from Cleveland, Ohio. Yes, correct. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like I said. (laughs) Yeah. All right, let's get the party started. Let's dive in. Tell me a little bit about growing up. Um, so I grew up in Lorraine, Ohio. Um, you know, my mom and my, my biological father split up when I was young and, um, my mom and my stepfather got together when I was four and, um, my childhood, my childhood was good. Like, you know, my mom and dad, they, they taught me morals and values and beliefs. And do you consider, when you say your dad, do you consider your stepdad, your dad? Yes. Okay. That's what it sounded like. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, they taught me morals and values and beliefs and treat people how you want to be treated and work for what you want. And, you know, they, they worked, um, they provided me with everything I needed and pretty much everything that I wanted. I never went without anything. Um, they, uh, they both qualify for the program. Um, they would have parties on the weekend, uh, 12 step program. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of what kind of issues did they have? Um, both of my parents drank uh, when I was young, and then when I got older, um, they they both were addicted to oxycontins and then heroin and crack, and you know, same things as me. <laughs> and uh, they would have parties on the weekends. Um, well, they they would have parties when it was nice out. They would have parties for basketball and football and and tennis and nobody watched tennis but um were the parties before or after they got sober are you talking about parties where they were when I, yeah when I was young so it was just drinking I don't really know if they did other things um I was too young but I know that they were always drinking and you know somebody died we they drank you know there was a birthday they drank uh somebody got married they drank so there was always alcohol um in my upbringing and I I didn't I always remembered like the good times, like everybody laughing and having a good time and everything being funny. And, and it just was a very, um, a very happy atmosphere. Um, but I didn't remember until I got sober this time about, you know, the cops being called and fighting and, and all of those issues that went along with it, you know, um, I was an only child until I was 12. So, you know, I was spoiled. Um, and that when my sister was born, like it didn't, like I didn't, most people like have a resentment when a sibling's born. I, it wasn't it for me. Um, I, uh, I became her, her caretaker, you know, my parents both worked and, and she just, she became my first quote unquote child. And, uh, that's when my resentments with my mom started forming, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really hang out with many people. And then you know, these, these parties, I hung out with my cousins. So these parties that my parents would have, we would have to clean up me and my cousins. So probably, I think I had my first drink around the age of 10, but I don't really remember it. Um, I remember it when I was like 12. I remember that. Um, we were cleaning up after a party, we decided to drink and it was great. Uh, I loved it. And then, uh, you know, I got into high school and, and found people that, that were smoking weed and I wanted to be a cool kid. So I, I hung out with them and 
Whew, that just. What did uh, it feel like? Because you were young, ten years old. So what? What was? Do you re- so you don't remember what kind of feeling you got from it? No, I don't remember. I don't remember the first time that I drank. Like I think it was just like I took a sip, and then like when I really drank, I remember being happy. Like I'm a, a naturally outgoing person, but I never, like I never really felt like I belonged anywhere. Like you know, you have the jocks and you have the nerds and you have all of these groups in high school. Um, mind you, this was back in the nineties. So, (laughs) so I didn't ever feel like I belonged anywhere, you know? So I'm a 14 year old kid that's taking care of my baby sister and, and, you know, my, my life was sheltered. And the moment that I got the opportunity to hang out with someone outside of that, um, I, I wanted to belong to that. That's where I wanted to be. So I, I that's what I did. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I started hanging out with people and smoking weed and drinking constantly. I started running away from home and getting kicked out of school and expelled from school. And school was always very important to me. Um, but I, I, I would rather hang out with these people, you know. What were your parents saying about this? Um, my dad really didn't, he was like the strong silent type. Like he really didn't have much to say. It was whatever my mom said that he would go with. Um, she didn't like it at all. Like she did not, she didn't like having to call the cops and saying, Hey, my daughter ran away again or going and picking me up from the detention home or, you know, going to court because I caught a case or, or any of those things. She didn't like it, you know, and it got to the point where, where anything that she said, I did the exact opposite. Like it, it, it didn't matter to me. I, I was so angry and um, resentful to her that like, I just didn't, I thought that I knew what was best and consequences never have never mattered to me. Um, so I think I was like 17, I got expelled from school and, you know, I wanted to do what I wanted to do and my mom didn't like it. So she told me, I have two options. I can either follow her rules or I can get out of her house. And I don't want to listen to rules. Like who wants to do that? So I moved in with my biological father and, uh, that, that didn't, that I still did what I wanted to do. It didn't matter where it was. So it's, was your, cause I know you said at four, your mom remarried, was your father, your biological father in the picture this whole time or um, was it so, just your stepdad? So it was my biological father. It was, um, spurts. Um, so he, uh, he was exactly what I said I, I would never be. So my biological father, um, spent many years in prison and I remember going to visit him at uh, prison uh, with my grandparents. And I remember thinking that I would never be him, you know, like I, I'm not, I'm not going to be this person and I'm not going to go to prison and I'm going to be there for my kids. And, you know, I'm going to do all these things and they're going to know that I love them. And, and here we are fast 40 years later. And I, I was him, like I became him. Um, so he, I think that, and in that span of time, I probably had seen him maybe five times, um, talked to him on the phone a couple of times while he was in prison, but like nothing, nothing consistent. So that, that was, that was, um, I realized later that was my number one resentment for a long time. 
you know, it, and it took me getting sober this time to realize that, but I, uh, you know, I moved in with him and still did what I wanted to do. I, I, that's how it's always been. Like, I, I think I know what's best and consequences never matter to me. I don't care what they are. Um, you know, I moved in with him and it got to the point where he said this exact same thing that my mother said, you know, you have two options. You can either abide by my rules or you can get out of my house. And I don't like rules. So at 17, what kind of trouble, what kind of trouble were you getting into? I wasn't really getting in like legal trouble. Um, it was just, I was hanging out with whoever I wanted, doing whatever I wanted, coming home whenever I wanted, drinking whenever I wanted, smoking whenever I wanted. Um, you know, I hadn't been to school and I don't even know how long, you know, so it wasn't, it wasn't really legal trouble when I lived with him. Um, the legal trouble was when I lived with my mom, but that just, that wasn't nothing to me, <laughs> you know? What kind of legal trouble was going on with your mom or not, I can, with you while you were with mom? I continued to go to the detention home, um, for being unruly, um, for, um, for how do you get sentenced to like, if you weren't in trouble, how can they, does your mom's just bring you there and drop you off there? Well, she said, no, that she would call the cops and say that I was a runaway. And, and that's, and that forces them to send you to the detention center. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was there a couple of times and, you know, what was like, that like, what was the detention center like? Just hanging out with a bunch of unruly kids learning. <laughs> learning new tricks of the trade <laughs> sounds like prison yeah that's what people say i've heard people say it's like college for inmates because you might go in there on a very minor charge and you're hanging out with some of these rough you know guys that committed real real crimes and you're learning how to get away with shit yeah it wasn't really it it wasn't really anything like when i am in a controlled environment um, I'm okay. When I have structure in my life, I'm okay. But like at 15, 16 years old, um, and, and no consequences don't matter to me. You know, I, I want to hang out with the most destructive human beings that I can find. And I just so happen to be in a building with, with them at that time. So it just, it wasn't at that time in my life. It was great. I loved it. You know, I learned, like I said, I learned things that, that I didn't know up until that point. What kind of things did you learn? Um, about more drugs that I was interested in trying and what they felt like and, and you know, <laughs> wanting to do them. So consequences of continuously, um, you know, skipping school. They're like, well, you know, if you skip it this long, you'll be okay. These are how many days you can be considered unruly and blah, 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 you know. Just ways, just ways not to really get in trouble, but minimal trouble if it did happen, you know? So then I, uh, I moved in with a cousin and, and continued drinking. And then, you know, I, I met a boy and, um, were you still in school when you moved in with your cousin? No, not at all. Not at all. I got, (laughs) I got. Okay, so my ninth grade year, I went through a lot of suspensions. My 10th grade year, I got expelled. They let me back my 11th grade year, got a lot of of suspensions. And then uh, my senior year, I dropped out. Like, I don't know, three months into my senior year, when I found out I was pregnant with my son, I dropped out. Um, 
yeah, that was fun. So I, uh, I was pregnant with my son and me and this gentleman decide that we're going to get married. <laughs> so that's the best idea ever. Was, was it the father to the child? Yes. Yeah. So we decide we're going to get married and it's just going to be fabulous. You know, white picket fence, all of those things. And, um, we got married two days after I turned 18 and I was seven and a half months pregnant and we bought a house and he had a fabulous job. And then my son was born and, um, we decided to have a, a party for a friend that was coming home from prison and, uh, lots of drinking, lots of drugs. And, um, I was introduced to cocaine at this point and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, I felt like I could accomplish every task in the whole entire world. Um, and it just, I was never tired. I could lose weight. You know, I had just had a baby. So it was fantastic until it wasn't. Um, we had, it got to the point where um, we almost lost our home and our son. So, so you were both heavily addicted. Yeah. Yeah. But the difference between him and I was he would still go to work. I didn't do any of those things. Um, I didn't have time for that. So he, uh, he joined the Marine Corps and we moved to North Carolina. Um, while we were down there, I had a daughter and, you know, I was down there for three years and I, I only drank twice. So I didn't, I, I, I wasn't an alcoholic. I didn't have a problem. You know, I experienced all of these things because I was young and dumb and, and, you know, everybody, when they're young, they, they experiment with things. Um, so I, I never, I never grasped any concept of, I had a problem. Um, you know, while, uh, while we were down there, him and I had issues and we decided to separate. So I moved back here with my children and I moved in with my cousin and here I am with two children um, and she's going through a divorce and she uh, she's going out to the bar every night. So I'm getting jealous. Like, I want to do this stuff. I'm going to do these things. I'm, you know, 20, 21 years old, 21 years old, 22 years old. I want to go to the bar. Like I never experienced that, you know? Um, so I, I sent my children um, to live with their father. And for a long, long time, I said it was because I'm a great mom. And, you know, I just wanted to make sure my kids were okay. And he was stable. And, and that was a lie. Um, the reality of the situation is having those children with me stood in the way of my drinking. And that was one of the hardest things that I ever, ever had to admit. You know, that one, that one stung a little bit because I was that selfish and that self-centered, you know, um, and, uh, that was, that was the beginning of everything. I didn't have, I had no responsibilities. I could do whatever I wanted. Um, so I started going to the bar all the time. Um, I, I was doing cocaine all the time. Um, and then I was in a car accident and I was introduced to Oxycontins and How's that car accident, car accident have anything to do with drugs or alcohol? Um, uh, not on my behalf. I was not driving. Um, but the gentleman I was with at the time, he was drunk. So, um, it was uh, a snowy night and someone ran a stop sign. He boned us. Um, so I, 
you know, I'm introduced to Oxycontins and, and up until that point, like I was cool with every decision I made, you know, doing the drugs that I had done. But when I did those, it was different. Like it was like, I, I frequently hear people say, I feel like I had arrived and like that, that was it for me. Like that was, that was the best feeling in the whole entire world. I could be me with, with no apologies. You know, I didn't have to worry about, I didn't worry about what people thought of me or people pleasing or, or anything. Um, it was all about me and, um, I'm selfish like that, (laughs) you know? So, so that was in, um, 2003 and I, I caught my first case, um, possession of cocaine, uh, in, 2004 and um from 2005 until 2019 um my life consisted of jails numerous county jails um institutions like like you know um lockdown treatment facilities or sober houses and prison um what's a lockdown what is it is it rehab that's understood like security like, so- or something yeah, 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 yeah. So like, um, you can't walk out of the door as you can't come and go as you please. So it's kind of like it's one step up from jail and one step down from prison. So Understood. yeah, it just it's yeah. There, I mean, I guess it's pretty much what it is. Yeah, um, and then you know I six prison numbers like I, I have six prison numbers what you um, do? which time <laughs> <laughs> um it's all drug related charges all of them okay you know like breaking and entering and escape and you know um escape from a jail I didn't know um <laughs> I didn't do all that I was gonna um, say <laughs> the lockdown facilities and um I was it was my first time detoxing I was detoxing off of oxys and um it was bad and they they took me there was a detox facility around the corner and I told them that if there was any way for me to walk out of that facility I would do it so they should probably lock me in a room and they did not believe me so I walked out of that facility um like 2 hours away from home <laughs> so I just I didn't care. Like I was sick and I didn't want to feel that way anymore. And I never thought about, Hey, you might catch charges for this, you know? <laughs> so I just, uh, there was that. And I continued, like I said, um, I would go to prison and, and in my mind, um, I would do whatever programs they offered that got me out one day sooner so that I could, cause I had no intentions on being sober. I didn't, I didn't want to be sober. Like that's not what I wanted. Um, I liked being high and I liked everything that went along with it, you know, the lifestyle and, and the lying and the manipulating and the money and, and all of it. I loved it. Um, and so I, you know, in, in 2013, I, I went to, um, a facility and I don't follow rules. I don't like them. Um, and they had rules and I didn't like them. And, um, I was on parole at the time and, uh, I got kicked out. So that was a parole violation. So they sent me to prison. And when I was getting out, um, a woman that stayed in touch with me asked me what I was going to do different. And I, I didn't want to do anything different. So 
I answered, I don't know, because I didn't know the answer to that. Um, and she told me that I should go to a sober house out here in Cleveland. And um, I don't know why I said, yeah, because it's not really what I wanted to do. I think that I wanted to do it so I could successfully complete parole. And then once I did that, I was going to leave. Um, but that didn't happen. Uh, I stayed there. Um, I stayed there and, uh, they, um, you know, my intentions were to stay sober, but, but I met a boy (laughs) gets me every time (laughs) I stayed, I stayed sober, uh, until I met him. And, um, this was in 2015. I had, I had 19 months sober and, um, but I wasn't sober. I was just dry. Like I would pretend I was working the steps and I would tell you what you wanted to hear. Um, you know, and then, and then I stopped praying and then I stopped going to meetings and then I stopped talking to my sponsor and, you know, I, all of these things that people suggested I, I don't do. Um, I did. And, uh, you know, I, I had a reservation. Like I had a reservation. I, I wanted to be high. I liked it. Um, and, um, uh, I just needed an excuse, a, a good enough excuse to where people would be like, Oh yeah, I understand. That's, it's not really a thing, but <laughs> my grandmother passed away and I was like, Oh, there it is. That's the one. And, um, I got high and, um, I overdosed. Um, and it was it scary um no because i had overdosed before like that didn't matter to me um the scary part was and it wasn't even scary it it was just like i i had been sober and i had relationships and i you know like it was more of guilt, shame, and remorse. Like I, I have to answer to these people that are asking me how I am and what I'm doing. And, and, and I'm lying to these people. And, you know, I, I had AA in my head and, and I know all of these things to do. And I, and I know all of this stuff, but my disease will not allow me to do these things. My pride and my ego got in the way. And, um, that was May of 2015. And in December of 2015, me and this gentleman decided that we were, uh, we were smart and, um, we decided to rob a pizza shop and, uh, I, at the point in in my life, I, I didn't realize the escalation of my disease. I didn't, I didn't know, um, you know, I, we, uh, we go on, um, the cops immediately when we pull out, um, the cops are immediately behind us and I'm driving and, um, I'm not going on a high speed chase. That's not what I'm doing. Um, so I pull over and there's 24 cops with 24 guns and it was not, I wasn't scared. Um, I was more relieved than anything, you know, and, and then I go to jail and I go in front of the judge who three weeks prior to that had sentenced me to probation. Um, and I think he was a little upset that I was right back in his courtroom. Um, so they sentenced me to four years in prison. And that was the longest um, time. That was the longest 
period I had ever been sentenced. You know, I had 18 months here or seven months there or whatever. And, you know, I get to prison and, and, and I didn't know what I was going to do with my time because like I said, I'd been there before and I'd done every program that they offered. Um, so I could get out sooner. And, um, I decided to go to college and, uh, you know, while I was in there the first two and a half years, I was dry. I didn't go to meetings. I didn't pray. I didn't do anything. I didn't, it's not that I was mad. I just, um, I just didn't want to, it just wasn't what I wanted in my life. You know, and while I was in there, my grandfather passed away and, um, and, and that was difficult. You know, I called home and my mom's crying and, and I felt a tinge of, you know, a consequence. So my mom's crying and I can't be there. So, so I was like, huh, there's a consequence. That wasn't enough, you know? And then, um, June 8th of 2017, my father passed away and I don't know how to handle emotions. I don't know how to handle feelings. I don't know how to do any of these things. Um, so I got high, um, you know, I called home and, and my mom's crying and my sister's crying and my kids want me home. And, and I didn't know how to handle feelings. I didn't know how to process it. So like I said, I got high. Um, and for the next 364 days, uh, whenever I thought about it, I, I would, I would get high. Um, you know, so it's the day before my father's one year, um, passing and I'm, <laughs> I'm 30 eight years old, sitting in prison for the sixth time, um, high, talking to a friend. And they told me um, that if I don't change what I'm doing, my children are going to feel exactly how I, how I did at that moment. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that. I didn't like that idea. I didn't like that concept. I didn't want, I didn't want them to feel that way. Um, so I woke up the next day and uh, I decided to get sober. Um, you know, they had programs in there. I continued to go to college. Um, they had IOP. Uh, so I did that because I know that I have a thinking problem. Like all of these things, uh, I was taught when, when I was in, in the program, um, prior to that, you know, so I go and, and I'm an IOP and I become active in Alcoholics Anonymous there and Narcotics Anonymous there. And, um, they start a recovery dorm and I become active in that. And uh, it's time for me to get out of prison. So I, I write the sober house that I was at before and I go there um, because I know that when I am in a structured environment, I know that I'm okay. And, and that's the only place that I'd ever known, you know, so, so I go there and I run into all these people that I was sober with the first time that have five, six, seven years sober, 19 years sober. And, um, like for me, it was, it was an eye opener, you know? So like you're doing all of, cause I was skeptical of Alcoholics Anonymous. So you're doing all of these things and, and you're still sober, like your life's different. So like you have a job and a car and a house and a life. Hmm. So maybe I'll just try it. Maybe. And they said, listen, so just give it a try. Like, it's not going to hurt. Just give it a try. Give it an honest effort. And if you don't like it, what you're looking for will always be out there. You can always go for it. And I was like, all right, I'll give you guys. Okay. I'll give you guys a little bit of time. Right. So I 
you know, I established a routine uh, and I established people in my life and I got a sponsor and, and I was honest and, and I hated every second of it. I hated it. I didn't want to do it. It's not what I wanted to do, but I, I also, I also didn't want to feel the way that I felt the day that I locked up. I don't want to do it anymore. So I'm like, all right. I mean, if it's that bad, I, I know where to go. I can always go get high. And I just, you know, I've, I've, I've continued to do that. Um, I, uh, I got a job um, and I got my very first car and I got um, my license. And in um, 2019, August of 2019, um, I continued my schooling because uh, I promised, you know, student advisor when I got out of prison, I would do it. And then I, I got my, I got my associate's degree in business management and I got my associate's degree in corrections and I got my associate's degree in community and social services. And, um, I opened my own baking business. Um, I'm currently four classes away from having my bachelor's in criminal justice administration. Um, who would have ever thought that out of all subjects, criminal justice. Yeah, I know. And, and a lot of people said I couldn't do it, you know? So, so I'm that type of person. Like I like to prove people wrong. When you say I can't do something, I'm, I'm going to do it. Always been that way. Um, but now I just use it for good, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, I started, um, in March of last year, I started a job with um, a nonprofit organization called Project White Butterfly. And we work with individuals with substance use disorder. So, so basically, we're a grassroots organization, and we go on the front lines, and we set up a table, and we hand out Narcan, and we hand out condoms, and we hand out fentanyl test strips, and we have resources for someone if they want to go to a sober house or a detox or somebody needs clothing or, you know, whatever resources that someone needs, we, we connect them with them. Um, it is, it is one of probably one of the most beautiful things that I get to do with my life. I, uh, I, I forget that it's my job. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't even feel like that about it. You know, I, uh, I had the opportunity to go thank the judge that sentenced me to prison um, because I believe he played a huge role in it. I don't think if I, if I wouldn't have went to prison, I probably would have died. And, and I, I wholeheartedly believe that, um, you know, I, I am a huge advocate for Narcan. Um, I am a huge advocate for whatever recovery path someone wants to take. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. Um, as long as it prevents someone from dying and their mother or father or sister or children, you know, from experiencing that pain. I just, I don't know, man, it's, it's different. I have, I have two grandchildren now. I was at my sister's wedding. Um, yeah, it's just, I have my own place. I never, I've never had my own place. I have two cats. I never had a place to take two cats, you know, like my life consisted of living in hotels or being homeless um, and living in or sleeping in the laundry room of an apartment building or, you know, calling McDonald's and saying they messed my order up so I could eat that day or stealing food from Walmart 
you know, walking through the store and just eating whatever, um, taking showers in a McDonald's bathroom or, you know what I mean? Like my life consisted of, I was just, I was a horrible human being. I was a horrible human being, you know? And, and I just didn't want to be that anymore. You know, my life today consists of, I will help anyone with anything I can absolutely do. You know, I, I love working with individuals that, um, you know, are either in active addiction or are newly sober that have, um, criminal, criminal problems, you know, like they, they have a couple of felonies on their record or they're just getting out of prison. Like, like that's my favorite because I know the paths that I tried to take and, and where I was either steered wrong or misguided. So I know how to help someone achieve getting a social security card or getting an ID or, you know, getting a ride down to see your parole officer. Like I, I know how to do all of these things and showing someone that anyone in general, that recovery is possible is, is huge for me. Like, I think that that's, I honestly wholeheartedly believe that that's why I never died on one of those trips out there. That's what I'm supposed to do. Great. That's great. great. So, sounds like you're happy nowadays. I'm, I'm really happy. I don't do the whole relationship thing because I, I don't know, like I, I, at 40 years old, I, I realized 39 years old, I realized what my favorite color was. Like, I didn't even, I didn't even know me, you know? So like now in my life, I get to know me and I get to figure out what my favorite book is or what my favorite food is, or I am comfortable sitting with me and, and just, just being with me. I'm comfortable with me today, you know? And I just, I have so much going on in my life that I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, that's the 10th, or for us, it's the 10th, and for AA, the 12th step, giving back. Because for some reason, I've said this probably, I don't know how many times on this podcast, that a long time ago, in the 1930s, those guys figured out when one addict is talking to and helping another, it keeps us sober. Yeah. Step 12 is my absolute favorite. Like, Like, I... I live by that. That's, that's what I do. You know, a friend of mine told me every day when I wake up, I have to remind myself I'm an alcoholic. Okay, Jasmine, you're an alcoholic. What are you going to do to help it today? God, please help me stay sober and please help me help another human being and another alcoholic. That's simple. It's that simple for me. And I used to make it so hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's great. So my last question for you, what advice would you give to people listening or watching? What's a lesson you've learned and advice you would give? Well, for me, I, I am an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I know that that is not for everyone. But I would suggest finding um, a fellowship, you know, I, 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 whatever fellowship you want. Um, finding a sponsor. Um, getting a home group, being completely 100% honest and transparent with um, your sponsor, you know, being open-minded and being willing above all else, be willing. Even when you don't want to just try, 
I mean, it, it really can't hurt. I, I wholeheartedly believe that, that the 12 steps um, of whichever fellowship are, are the, the answer. I, I, I wholly, wholly, wholeheartedly believe that. You know, I think I just, from my personal experience, my life wouldn't be what it is today. And countless others, it wouldn't be what it is today if they didn't work those steps, you know? Yeah, I mean, the steps are very important because it's something that goes back to what you mentioned before. It gives you structure. And many of us also do very, we our lives are much more easy to manage when we have structure. Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. So to everyone watching or listening, give us a like. Also subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're on Instagram. We're on Reddit. We're on Twitter. You can check us out there. Um, I highly suggest checking out our Facebook group where you can go under the events tab and you'll see the Zoom meetings that we host daily at 630 Eastern Standard Time. So thanks for watching and listening. And until next time.